Hey, welcome to the 116th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we have Peter Atencio. He is a director of many things. He directed the first three seasons of Key and Peele. He is doing a new pilot for ABC right now. He has directed Last Man on Earth. He did the movie Keanu. He has just done a bunch of things. Both Matt and I have kind of been in his sphere for a long time. Matt knows him personally, but I've just kind of seen his name around and we've been really excited to get him on the show. Yeah, we dive in on what it takes to prep a show, his approach on how to add a ton of style to what would easily be dismissed as like a straightforward comedy sketch. Basically everything that made the visual style of Kim Peele special, he's managed to carry with him throughout all the rest of his career. Yeah, I really like it when our guests kind of give us the good and the bad of directing. And I think Peter is really uh, very honest about his experiences and it's great to hear. Yeah, his highs are high and his lows are low. But before we talk to Peter Atencio, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, I have been working on uh, these same two things that we have talked about. I'm doing this this campaign for Comcast, which I'm getting excited about. It's been super stressful, but you know, as you get closer to the shoot date, things start locking in. The shot list gets approved by the agency, all that stuff. And I just feel more and more confident. And our producer on this job does this awesome thing, which I was showing you earlier. And that he, at the end of every day, he sends a schedule Mm -hmm. for tomorrow. It's kind of like a call sheet for prep. It's like tomorrow we're going to have this call at 8. We're doing this fitting at 9. We're doing this casting at 1 p.m. And then he'll have like a one line for what's happening for the rest of every day up until the Mm -hmm. shoot. And it's awesome. Like I, you know, it's just great to really have someone reminding you everything. And he's really very communicative. Like whenever we're on a scout or anything, anytime I need to be anywhere, he'll text me the address like an hour before I need to be there. It's pretty nice. And I just click on it and it goes to my GPS, you know? So I don't know. I've really enjoyed this kind of highly efficient prep phase. Um, Also, the other thing, people have heard me talk about origami for a long time over the course of this podcast. It was like a show that I'd pitched and was picked up and I was supposed to go to Toronto to shoot and then maybe be the showrunner of. And as of today, I found out that the whole structure of how the show is going to be made is changing mm-hmm. and I'm not going to do it anymore. And it's like, a, a, it's disappointing, but also like a relief. And I'm still going to be attached to the show, but I'm not going to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's a weird feeling. I'm sure you've, we've all been in that place where we're like, this job is going to be really hard and I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then it turns out you're not going to do the job. And then you're like, ah, oh. yeah, you know, so it's like, it's, it's that feeling. And yeah, we do- you wanted the job because it's a job. No, but also but it's, no, a but cool you, you it's, it's a cool job. It's a cool job. position. It's a cool project. I like the people I'm working with. But there's the relief of uh, you knew exactly how hard and challenging and maybe personally taxing this one was going to be, right? Like I think the relocation thing was a thing that was stressing you out a lot mm-hmm. beyond just the normal um, stresses of, of directing locally. Like having to go literally to a different country can be a challenge as we'll talk with Peter about. Um, right. Yeah, I think Peter has some interesting insight. And I do think like just trying to look from outside of myself for a second. You know, a lot of times on this podcast, we tell people like, 
you should just move to LA because that's like where the work is. But then I'm like crying about going to Toronto sure. for like a few months. It's like, you know, it, it, maybe it isn't that easy to just like lift up your whole family and your pets <laughs> and your dog and yeah, yeah. move to LA. Yeah, you literally you know? would have a team of people who's like have the job of feeding you every day and telling you where to be and driving you places. And really just like your family has to like come with you and, you know, put their lives on hold, but your life is still like on track in a really obvious way. And that stresses people out. I, I had the same thing. Like I was traveling with uh, this previous job, all that Ellen stuff. I was traveling all over the place and I was like, I'm so tired and I have to go to all these great places and my life is awesome and I don't know why I'm sad. Yeah. Mm. Well, anyway, yeah. I guess it's uh, part of the business. Yeah, like you get good. super stressed and super bummed and happy once in a while. Happy all the time too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I'm excited about all that, but I'm still doing this other pilot and we've found this oval office set. Ooh, we cool. have a scene that is, takes place in the oval office, which is not that oval. It's actually got these, it's kind of like more of a hexagon. Hmm. Turns out who knew <laughs> probably everyone but me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. So yeah. What have you been working on lately? Yeah, so I am, like I said, I'm wrapped on all that other stuff. So I'm in heavy development mode. I spent most of the day either emailing or writing and I had a great time. But the thing I wanted to talk about this week is like I've been planning this trip kind of for a while now where we're going. So my wife's movie takes place in San Francisco. So we're kind of going up as like a scouting slash like meeting trip, basically kind of like reconnecting with people. And like we kind of had been dragging our feet on like uh, setting up a lot of like important meetings. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of like like investment meetings and like talking to small business owners and kind of like the more businessy stuff. And it's like very outside of our comfort zone, but it's also a thing that you have to do as a filmmaker. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just a part of the the job of like your job is yeah. convincing people to help you make the stuff you want to make. Right, exactly, exactly. And we are so practiced and focused on the making, right? Like we know our cameras and we know our casting and we know, you know, like that we've been doing all of this, the fun stuff. And like we intentionally bought these tickets to go up to San Francisco with with the knowledge that like that was an artificial deadline like we just kind of picked them arbitrarily it was like after memorial day weekend and i knew i was going to be wrapped on this shoot but it was still early enough out that we could take the time that it's going to be to foster these relationships a little bit pardon me all of which is to say today was the kind of the drop dead on emailing a lot of those people and it's this thing that's scary and also as soon as you do it you start getting responses from people and you start uh, taking steps forward. And that's the way it is with all filmmaking. But for whatever reason, because it was a little out of our comfort zone, it was just like, it was hard, you know? And I think that um, it was, a, I was like, oh, this will be a good takeaway for the show. We're just reminding people like, ah, oh. you just take that first baby step basically. And no matter what the answer is, that's a step forward. Whether it's like, hey, I don't have time to sit down with you. Go fuck yourself. Or like, I'm not the right person for this. Or I know 16 people who would be great for this. Like all of, we got all of those different combinations and we'll, we'll continue to do so. And they all are empowering. 
Right. I find something interesting is that like the most successful people I know who are probably the types of people you're reaching out to since, you know, you're trying to find people that can help on this project. They are really good at emailing back very fast, uh-huh. right? Oh, like, yeah, have you noticed that? Yeah, like yeah. every, like the most successful people I know, like they will respond within an hour with like a five word email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's always you know, send that to send those things to me. Do that. Like connect me with yeah. someone or it's not like, Hey, I'm so glad you can reconnected. It's been too long. How have you been? How is the wife and kids? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'll have so-and-so schedule a call. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's a little more flowery than that. And sometimes it takes longer than an hour. Um, but I guess my real point is it's empowering talking to people, asking for help, taking steps forward. It, uh, it can be scary, but it feels great. Yeah. Do it. Just shoot it. Just shoot that email, email over. There we go. We got there eventually. Cool. Cool. Well, before we talk to Peter, real quick reminder, everyone, uh, that we've got a Patreon page. And if you want to contribute to the show, uh, it helps us grow, helps support our editors. We're trying to bring bigger and better things to the table. And we, we should get on uh, another live show. Another live show. It's yeah. time to do it. It'll be fun. We did um, just do a crossover episode. That's true. So, you know. We're doing, we're doing all sorts of stuff, but it's been fun. I think people, I hope people have noticed like the show is getting a little bit better and uh, more consistent and it's going to continue to to grow and get better and better. So thanks everyone. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash justshootedpod. Thanks for that. Without further ado, here's Peter Atencio. Hey, we are here with Peter Atencio. Thanks for coming over. We, we've been Thank trying you. to get you on the podcast for a very long time. It finally happened. I did it. It I, happened. I believe that you were not a father when we first asked <laughs> you about it. That's very possible, <laughs> That's yeah. That's probably true. Yeah, actually. I haven't, there's a, been a lot of things that yeah, have been yeah. put on hold. How was his high school graduation? So good. <laughs> cool. Beautiful good, 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 good. ceremony. <laughs> I do think it's funny, like a lot of the directors that we invite on the show that are kind of like, it, you know, floating around your level, um, a lot of them like are having had kids. And <laughs> I do wonder... Sometimes if there's this kind of weird Hollywood thing of like once you kind of get your foot yeah, in the yeah. door, little you like financial security, feel more comfortable. <laughs> like, having all right. a kid. I still don't know if I can afford a kid, but it definitely. I would say the reverse is true that having a kid kind of matures you a lot. Oh, and interesting. Makes you go like, oh, I gotta like really get it together and <laughs> take this as seriously as possible. I, I feel like uh, didn't Francis Ford Coppola has a quote about that, like not knowing what like. Adulthood is slip Yeah, he's yeah. that kind of guy. I guess. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. he also has like, like twenty kids twenty probably. kids. Yeah, and they're yeah. all entrepreneurs. Yeah, all the couples. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Cool. Well, thanks for coming, man. You have been doing a ton of stuff, but uh, let's go back a little bit, actually, because I actually I don't know. Um, did you go to film school? Kind of. Oh, good. I good I went to sort of a high school that had a film program. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did go there, um, but it was a public Here in school LA or? No, in Denver, actually, oh, okay. where I'm from. It's a, a public school that was an arts focused public uh-huh. school and you had to audition to get in and then you had to audition every year to stay there. So it was a very unique That's like program. stressful. For yeah, it was, it was very <laughs> stressful. Uh, and I took film there because mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to work in film. And then I went to the University of Colorado for a year. Gotcha. And then I 
didn't go there anymore. Yeah, you were. You I were dropped like, out. Here we go, Los Angeles. Yeah. And did you move straight to LA? After I that? did. I uh, I came here. I did not enjoy my year at that school. Um, it just wasn't the right program for mm-hmm. me. But you were doing film there. I was, but that school it was a film studies program, so mm-hmm. it wasn't production. So you couldn't check out equipment your freshman year. You basically. Making films was not part of the program at all, so it was very, you know, Stan Brackage, experimental mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. you know, just um, you had a to lot shoot of everything on your iPhone. Oh, I wish iPhones had existed then. <laughs> it, it's, it was just like very, yeah, it was just um, much more clinical, and uh, I, f- in a lot of ways, felt like I was paying to go to high school again because mm-hmm. I was taking like biology and. Spanish right, three right. and a lot you know. of general ed stories. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it just wasn't wasn't for me. So I moved to LA and um, got a job. Uh, the ArcLight had just opened. For mm-hmm. those of you who know that theater, in what was Los your Angeles. favorite movie on your name tag? Uh, oh God! Uh, at the time, my favorite movie was Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah, bold, <laughs> out there choice. I know, very strange. Uh, immediately was like, why did I pick that? That's not like, it's a great movie. I love that movie, but I don't sure. know if it's my favorite movie. And yeah, then yeah. second guessed it for the rest of my very And it's career. literally on your name tag the yeah. whole time. And you know, it was such a novel thing. Everyone came up and was like, what's on your name tag? What's it? And just, yeah. yeah. And this is, um, you said it's like right when they opened, right? Yeah. So, 2002. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. like just to kind of paint the picture, it was the first theater I had ever been to where you reserved your seats yes. and like it was hot like very it was an expensive ticket it still is yes it was like a was, very premium experience yeah for movie. most right. of why I went and got a job there was because I went and saw a movie I was shocked at how expensive it was and then I was blown away that they turned off all the lights in the mm-hmm. movie theater I was like mm-hmm. oh they'd have no yeah. lights whatsoever I wanted to go see movies there I was broke and so I was like well if I work here I can see movies for free and so did you have to like, do the speech Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was an usher greeter. That was my job. I loved doing the speech. I would custom fit my speeches to match whatever movie I was doing. Wait. So for those of our listeners that don't live in LA, what's the, <laughs> yeah. what is that speech about? So at the beginning of every movie at Arclight, as part of their like boutique movie going experience, they send a person out to introduce the movie. They kind of give, you know, you'll be here to watch whatever movie, please turn off your cell phones. I'll be standing off to the side to make sure the picture and sound is great. You know, it's just it's a up to our standards. Touch. Yeah. Have you ever, had you ever seen the picture and sound not up to standards and like done something uh, about it? Occasionally. Yeah. I mean, I, I because I worked there when film mm-hmm. still existed in oh, right. the movie going experience, every once in a while there was like, you know, the, it jumped a sprocket and the, the alignment was off or, you know, we, we did catch stuff every once in a while. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. There was a method behind the madness. Oh, right, at our right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I loved about it is I would go watch movies at the Grove, um, which is like sure. where like high school kids go <laughs> and they would just be like texting the whole time and yeah. it'd be annoying and I'd tell like an usher and like nothing would happen. And then that They'd high be like, I know like I'm texting my friend. Up after the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but That's at, the most movie going. But experience. at the arc light, they would do something about it. Yeah. They'd be like, excuse me, you. And it was like tranquilizer. 18 bucks on a Saturday night. So like kids aren't dropping that sort of cash to yeah. go see a movie. Yeah. It was a very well-to-do crowd. Yeah. So. I mean, the Beverly Hills kids. Sure, right. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, the trust uh, funders would yeah. come by and yeah. spend some coin, but you know, but yeah, it was a, it was a great job for someone interested in movies. So. I got to see everything. And when did you transition from day jobs, Joe jobs, into directing? How did that happen? 
Uh, well, when I got out here, I just started basically working any job I could to be around it. So a lot of like Craigslist, like we need crew to come work on a student film and you get lunch and a copy of the movie and, mm. you know, that type of stuff. I just jumped at whatever I could. I actually met a group of people at Arclight. We all worked there and we started making short films together and making you know, projects together, and then we eventually did a, a feature together. A so, feature? Yeah. Oh, wow. And yeah, did you was, buy, like, a camera and editing equipment? Like, were you I doing did. it all? I did, yeah. I bought, um, I bought a DVX100, a Panasonic camera. Sure. Um, the first one to do 24 24P, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was, like, really excited by the prospect of that. I saved up. I had had, like, a Handycam before that and a Sony VX2000 and... Um, I was always working to buy more equipment and then I edited on my Sony Vio, um, oh, nice. which I don't even remember the editing software. Vegas? It was either Vegas, Vegas or yeah. Casablanca. I might've had <laughs> Casablanca at the time. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I was just always making stuff on my own and then I, you know, boom operator, grip, editor, whatever people needed. I was just volunteering for stuff all the time. So, you know, you meet a lot of people doing sure. that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. what was your first paid job? Oh, first, I guess the first job I got hired to do, there was a company called Super Deluxe, for sure. those who have been on yeah, the yeah. internet long enough to remember. It was a TBS-funded Adult Swim offshoot. And uh, I met a comedian named Jonah Ray. Oh, you did Working at Arclight. You did his show? Um, yeah, we did a series for Super Deluxe called Jonah's the freeloader's guide to e easy living. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. I watched that. Was, yeah. And it was like super fun. We got to do whatever we wanted. They paid us an insanely small amount of money, but at the time we were like money to make stuff. That's <laughs> deal. Holy crap. Yeah. I already own so the camera. I think, yeah. I think we probably spent way beyond our budget just making it and didn't even have money left over to like live on. But it was, it still felt sure. like we were like the Kings of Hollywood. Yeah. And so. it was Turner. Yeah, right, there was so. like a degree of officialness. They made us sign paperwork and mm -hmm. stuff, and there were delivery specs, and it was like, wow, this is like real. And we made like, I think, five or six short films in this series, and and then that just sort of started the ball a little bit of like mm -hmm. gig to gig. I DP'd a lot at that time. I did like, a, it was supposed to be for TV, and then it was for web, but for Matt Besser, I DP'd like a a web series thing for him. Who's one of the founders of UCB. Yeah, very talented improv comedian. Weird guy. Love him a lot. Uh, <laughs> never remembered my name. Probably wouldn't remember my name if I saw him today. I've yeah, worked there, with him a hundred times. There is a weird thing about directing, especially when you're doing that level stuff, like the Midnight Show yeah. level um, videos where you're doing everything. <laughs> you are like getting the script to the right place. You are shooting it. You're editing it. You're directing it. You're, you know, outputting it, making sure it looks right on the screen, yeah. and then people don't know who you are. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like I literally, literally, I did all of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I loved it because it was fun to work on stuff. The people were talented. I got to do, like, the midnight show, you know, to be around live screenings was mm -hmm. really fun. That was, like, a, a very unique kind of high for someone who usually was, like, uploading things to YouTube, like to hear actual people laugh at stuff. It was like, great. So I loved being around it. But yeah, at the same time, there was definitely a degree of obscurity. They definitely took you for granted doing that stuff. And I was just like, 
yeah, it'd be cool to like do something for myself. So I was always kind of working on my own stuff on the side mm-hmm. when I was doing that stuff. And you met Payment Benz through the midnight show too. I right? did much later. That was probably not much later, but that was probably two thousand eight. I want to say maybe two thousand seven is when I first met Payment. Uh, but yeah, I met a lot of great people through the Midnight Show. A lot of great directors that I still keep in touch with, and there was a really, I mean, at UCB in general, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in LA, um, there was just a great talent pool that just hung out, and mm-hmm. you know, you just met people, and then it was know. like a mixture of you know, people were spending money on internet videos. And like, oh, you could turn those into TV shows. Like there was a real promise of this being not just something that's fun and cool and maybe makes you a tiny bit famous, but also like it was a real investment in your careers. Right. And also the theater was still pretty new. And so it was this great mixture of like the internet being the Wild West and just feeling that there was opportunity. There was something in the air back then. Yeah, I liken it to the the music video movement in the 80s. Like... There was just enough money that people were kind of able to earn a living off of it, but you also had almost complete freedom Mm because people had no idea what they were doing and kind of didn't know what to ask of filmmakers. And it was small enough money that like... Yeah, the stakes were super low. Nobody cared. And so I loved sketch because I just got to experiment with craft and technique and try Mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know, someone sends you a script and you're like cool, can we do this in this style? And they're like, well, okay, I I guess if you want to do that, it seems like a pain in the ass. So, you know, but it was, yeah, I got to like make tons of weird stuff that I would never get to make. And the kind of, they wouldn't make for TV at the time either. No, no, yeah. I mean, I think now we're so desensitized to it because so much is online that we're like, the line is blurred so much. But yeah, I mean, you know, people were, constantly shocked at what you could get away with and so i was just thinking today about how when i was doing videos like back then i was just so confident and if someone said like go make this parody i'd be like oh yeah we can do that we'll do this and this and this and (laughs) two thousand bucks no problem and now i'll be on something with a bigger budget and a whole crew and everything and i'm so stressed out like i'm like is that close-up gonna work like about nothing how much more uh, stressed and self-conscious I am now than I was when I was doing like these impossible things. It's very true. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I look at even stuff I did on Key and Peele, I'm like, why did I think I could get away with that? But like ignorance is bliss. And yeah, when no one's like telling you, sure. well, you have to, you know, it has to be done like this. It's like, yeah, uh-huh. it's freedom. Right. It's great. Um, so I want to get into Key and Peele actually, but I, I th- just to clarify or just to connect the dots between the midnight show and Kim Peel. So you had done a few sketches with like Ian Roberts, right? Like who mm-hmm. was another UCB founder and the executive producer of Kim Peel along mm-hmm. with Jay Martell, right? And Keegan and Jordan obviously. And so h- how did that and you directed up until the last season literally every single sketch of Kim mm-hmm. Peel. So how did that happen? What what prepared you to be ready to like Helm, um, such a big undertaking. And did I it definitely did, wasn't ready? <laughs> did it start as a TV show or was it like a digital yeah, show? That yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It was so TV they, from the they beginning. straight. So Keegan and Jordan met on Mad TV. They were friends and they did sketches together, but they weren't like partners. And they had the same manager, and their manager after Mad TV was over was like, "Hey, you guys should go sell a sketch show together. You guys did great sketches together on that show." And they kind of started meeting and working together. And they were like, "Yeah, there's good chemistry here. We should do something." And they sold it. They originally sold the pitch 
they the pitch was them doing live sketches. This was before I ever got in, like in the room with the executives. They did like three sketches, mm-hmm. um, and it sold to Fox and to Comedy Central, and they had to kind of decide where they wanted to go. Oh, interesting. And, um, Fox like network network TV. TV. They were going to make a a primetime sketch show based around Keegan and Jordan. They wanted it to be like a new in living color. But they had all these stipulations and they had had a history because of their experience on Mad TV of kind of knowing what that world was like. And so they chose the more creatively free path of going to Comedy Central. Um, and then they started meeting with directors. And so about three years before that happened, I had done, um, which tells you how old it was, a, a MySpace uh, web pilot with Keegan <laughs> that was terrible, <laughs> but... Um, fun. And we stayed in touch and hung out from time to time. And so when they were putting together the pilot, he knew, um, you know, because we had worked together on that and he had seen some of my other work and was kind of a fan and Ian had worked with me on midnight show. So there was like enough work for me to get in the door. And that was how I met Jordan. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a meeting with Keegan, Jordan, Ian and Jay, and we just hit it off. It was just like my whole pitch to them was, I wanted to make a sketch show where every sketch felt like the funniest set piece in a movie or in a show or in just a world. And it's been like lifted out and you get the context from the beginning of the sketches and the mood and the style Mm -hmm. and the music and all of the clues that aren't like in the dialogue. Cause I hated in sketch how so often it just starts with this like naked exposition. Yeah, and it's sure. like, Ugh. Here we are as two teenagers going to high school. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it has to be on the nose. And so that's kind of a symptom of stage sketch where like you have to paint that picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really wanted to do it a different way and sort of use filmmaking as a way to, to lay that groundwork. And they loved that idea, and they were like, yeah, that sounds perfect. We want to do it. And so they sent me to Comedy Central to meet with our, our network execs, uh, Jim Sharp, uh, Gary Mann, and uh, Monica, well, Monica, Monica, who's lovely. <laughs> we love her. Uh, and they were like, really nice to meet you. You seem great. Um, you're 20. I think at that time I was 27. They were like, you seem like a really nice person. There's no way we're letting you direct a show for television because I had one TV credit or two. I did web soup sketches and I did a pilot for Adult Swim. And it was like, yeah, thanks for coming in. No, thank you. And they hired someone else. um, Oh, and the story gets good here. I didn't know. uh, Yeah, yeah, this is the the untold. And so uh, they prepared to start with that director. And I think two or three weeks before the pilot started shooting, he dropped out. I think he decided, I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I feel like he decided he just, it was too much of the same thing for him. Mm-hmm. He had done shows like that in the past. It wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And yeah, and he left and uh, I was still available because I was living in a shitty uh, studio apartment in Hollywood. And uh, I was like, hey, I, I'm still down. And they kind of had no options at that point. So wow. I got the job very last minute. Stepped How did in. you find out that the job was open again? Um, I didn't even have, I don't think he was my manager officially at that point. But I, Peter Principato, who is today my manager, he had sort of brought me in at one point and was like, hey, I don't want to represent you, but I'll recommend you to my clients for stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and he called me and he's like, hey, uh, Key and Peel just became open again and they, I think they're going to go for you. Um, and I was just ecstatic. I was over mm-hmm. the moon. And that job, I mean, that pilot was still one of the most fun things I've ever worked on. It was just like magic. And you hit it out of the park. 
Well, thanks, but right. you know, I but, mean, I, I mean, a lot of that went to air, right? Like I said, bitch. Yeah, it all the whole so thing. The whole thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the that's only thing the we reshot one. was the uh, the the live studio audience wraparounds, because mm-hmm. gotcha. the whole concept at the beginning on the pilot, which I found a copy of not that long ago, it was kind of amazing, um, was. Uh, we wanted it to feel like you were walking in New York City and you heard some laughter coming from these basement stairs and you go down the stairs and you're in a tiny club in Greenwich Village mm-hmm. and there's a comedy show happening and these two guys are on stage and they're just like electric. So we shot it like that and the network was like, what the fuck are you doing? Sorry, <laughs> sure, sh- yeah, 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 swear to you. Sorry, yeah. I, yeah. I never know. Um, but like, what are you doing? That looks terrible. <laughs> so they were they were like, we're gonna bring in somebody who does this professionally because mm-hmm. I was not a live sure. to tape person. Um, and the way it works in variety shows is the person who directs the live audience segment gets the directed by credit. What? It's an archaic DGA rule. Um, I've lobbied for years to change it. It's super annoying, but it's because most variety shows are like late night shows where Mm -hmm. that is most of the show. And then you have field pieces and you throw to that. But it saves the network's money if they classify them as variety shows because the pay structure is differently. So it's still a variety show, even if you're more sketches than live audience. So they wanted to bring in a director. And I did, after the pilot, I did a whole deep dive into directing those Uh types of shows. I watched every comedy special and sketch show. I did a PowerPoint presentation and I went in and did this whole presentation to Ken Alterman, uh, the the head of the network, of like, here's why I should direct the live audience mm-hmm. stuff, and here's how we would do it, and we'd totally change it. We'd do it in a big theater and make it glossy, and they stupidly <laughs> went for it. So <laughs> so I, that was how I ended up being able to direct everything on the show and direct wow. both pieces. That's awesome. I mean, I think just the like, one takeaway is just it doesn't matter, like if people say no to you, you know, you kind of <laughs> yeah. not you. I mean, I think no. It's it's stubbornness can be an asset. It can also get you into a lot of trouble. But yeah, right. But it but you, everyone wanted you for the job, and then they didn't hire you, and then somehow you got it, you know. And then everybody, you know, wanted you for the next job, and they didn't hire you, and somehow you convinced yeah. them to get you to there's hire an, you. There's an alternate re- reality where like you were like, well, I guess that's it. Yeah, I mean, you know they, I mean? they to wanted the to have multiple yeah. directors and then somebody else directs sure. a live audience. And Which I, is traditional. That's what most people, most sketch yeah. shows do that. Like yeah. even Comedy Central shows, right? Like yeah. Schumer has like a ton of different directors, right? Like Mostly Ryan McFall, though. I will say oh, that, that right? was really okay. Ryan's Ryan's baby, especially the first season, especially. But gotcha. The okay. first two seasons, he did m- most of most those. Most of them. Because like Neil Brennan did a couple episodes. Yeah. And like, yeah, 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 they eventually few, had, yeah. a, and Amy started directing and, yeah, yeah. you know, so they, yeah, they opened it up quite a bit. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just, I had such a fun experience on the pilot and so fell in love with the show that I was just, I, I just wanted to direct every part of it and also was very protective of it mm-hmm. because I knew kind of what it could be and just how talented those guys are. I mean, they're really amazing performers. Yeah. So when you yeah. direct a pilot for Comedy Central, do you get paid for every episode that airs after that? No. <laughs> That's part of that DGA rule. Oh, the variety so show. So the variety show, they don't pay directors residuals. So normally on a pilot, yes, you get a royalty fee for every episode that airs because you've established the look. You also get residuals every time a rerun airs. 
Uh, none of that happens on variety shows. Variety shows, they're treated as a, it airs once, and if it airs again, you don't get residuals because it's a variety show and they should, they're probably making 300 of them a year. Well, right? What about EP credit? Do you get that? Uh, I did not. So because I was so young and uh, badly needed the job, they knew that they did not have to give me that. So I had to, I think I got, I think, I think, yeah, I think the first season I had no producing credit. Second season I negotiated for co-producer. And then I think season three on was when I finally got an EP credit. Mm -hmm. But that took a lot of, a lot of negotiation. <laughs> Does that credit that. give you more power, like in terms of like making decisions on what who's the DP is going to be, or it like how many does. episodes? I mean, I that was a really unique show because I came in as a director on the pilot, helped establish the show, was involved in all those decisions, and then the traditional model on TV is you have rotating directors, the showrunners run the show, and that's kind of it. And they're like, "Thank you so much, goodbye." And I just kept showing right. up and kept insert and kept being like, hey, can I be in on that meeting too? Because I kind of care about what the marketing is. And mm -hmm. like, hey, I have some feedback on the crew and I'd like to, you know, help us make sure we are bringing back the right people. And so I just kind of kept inserting myself into those conversations because one, I didn't really know any better. And two, I really cared about the show and I wanted everything to be as good as it could possibly be. And so they sort of begrudgingly let me into that process right. the first season. And then after the first season, I was just in. And Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think there's also a thing of like, if you're a part of all those conversations and the authority, people just start asking you questions and then it's no one's true. questioning it. Yeah. Know? I mean, I will say Jay and Ian are fantastic writers um, and have... They are amazing at running a writer's room and running a writer's team. They're not the most savvy on production, or they weren't at that time. And so they were very happy to kind of let mm -hmm. me run sure. the production side and, and let me manage the post side. Their jobs are hard. <laughs> yeah, they had tons to yeah. do, and I, was, I had a lot of technical knowledge, mm -hmm. and I had a willingness to do it. It wasn't part of my job description. I wasn't getting paid for it the first couple of seasons, but... I had a vested interest in making sure every piece was mm -hmm. done to a certain level. And I enjoy every step of the process. I love being at sound mixes. I love being at color sessions. I, I love the whole thing. But so. how did you know how to run post on a TV show that's on cable TV without I, ever having done it? Oh, I knew post because I had been an editor. I hadn't been an editor on a TV show, but I had edited so much of my own stuff. And I had delivered web series, which... By that point where you did have to deliver them to network standards, mm -hmm. you had to output to tape, you had to know deliverables. So I just, and I just, I love learning about it. So I had already soaked up a lot of knowledge. And then the places where I didn't have a lot of knowledge, I just asked questions. I wasn't afraid to be like, why are we doing that? What's that for? What's an M&E? What's a CTM? What, what is an M&E and what is a CTM? Uh, an M&E is music and effects. Mm -hmm. It's a track so that they can do um, language dubbing for international delivery and uh, bleeping. Uh, and then a CTM is a color time master. It's what you deliver your final colored version of the show, whether it's a file or a tape. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I just, I just kind of kept sticking my finger in a lot of pies. I mean, it was just... And sometimes people would get a little like, why do you want to know or why do you want to be involved in that? And it always came from a good place of like, I just want to make sure it's really good and we, yeah. we're doing everything we can to make it better. And Like um, no one 
cares as much as you do, basically. Right? I try to outcare people as much as possible. <laughs> it's a good way of wearing people down <laughs> and getting what you want. Yeah. So, so around this point, um, I, I had been working at Comedy Central basically as you had been doing all of this Key and Peele work. And I remember being, I'd bounced around a lot um, and remember like, like running the YouTube page at that point. Mm-hmm. And being like, what the fuck is going on, right? Because no one really was caring about the page very much they at that point. They hated YouTube at the first season. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. The pilot, they didn't even want to put sketches online, full <laughs> sketches. They wanted truncated short versions of the sketches. I mean, that makes complete sense because culturally they they didn't really have a page to begin with because Viacom had been in a, like a huge lawsuit. They still were at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. They yeah. were, I think, until season three or maybe even four. And lit- literally for a billion dollars yeah. we're talking about, yeah. right? Bank with YouTube. With YouTube, yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was literally a lawsuit that they knew they couldn't win. It was like a the principle of the thing lawsuit. And because they were so old media, they were mm-hmm. just like, we're, we have to do this for right. the sake of IP and for the sake of, and I mean, everyone lost that fight eventually sure. on the television. The fight I would argue, Viacom. except for Key and Peele, because, because actually uh, you guys were the first show that really got to put their stuff up on YouTube once yes. it had kind of like grown a little bit. We right? fought tooth and nail for that. I, that was kind of because I had come from the world of internet comedy and right. had, had things go viral. I knew the power of what that right. could do. And right. nobody, um, there was eventually one person at the network, an executive named Tara Schuster, who's in development now. And she was sort of the other person who was like, yes, we have to get stuff on YouTube. It's very important for not just the show, but the network as a whole to reach a new audience. Yeah, absolutely. So so while all that stuff was happening, that's when Substitute Teacher blows up, you know, like, and then it became like a ritual of like every single week, oh, yeah. what are the new sketches, what are the new sketches? Yeah. Um, and I had been writing and directing basically in my free time that whole time and had talked to Tara and was like, yo, I'm going to quit real soon. I really want to be a part of Key and Peele in some way. Like, can I shadow Peter? Like, what is going on? And that was around when Mike and Von Davion, the <laughs> the, the characters oh, where man. Keegan and Jordan critique the show on, they have their own YouTube show and they critique all of the sketches and explain how basically they could be better, better if like uh, a they character, had dicks. they had dicks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like what Just, if instead was all... that was a dick? <laughs> And cracking each other up. Oh, yeah. And so for the final (laughs) season, I basically was on set as though Mike and Vendavian had been hired as PAs and were leaking footage online. So that last season, I got to like hang out. It got real meta. Yeah. Vendavian and Mike experience. The last episode you were in. You fire. That's right. I fire. And may, I th- Ian punches the camera operator, which is me. <laughs> That's right. That was the Rashida Jones <laughs> sketch. And, and she's yeah. like, what the fuck we're is like, going oh, on? Oh, hey, Rashida, we're going to also do this little behind the scenes thing. Uh, Jordan's going to pretend to be this really annoying guy. Just go with it. Or no, Keegan was going to pretend to be the annoying guy. Yeah, yeah, Jordan yeah. Yeah, yeah. got pissed off and then I threw him off set and then, yeah, Ian yeah. punched the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Good time. It's, Good time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Van Davian and Mike, yeah. Emmy nominated web series. Sure, that is true. That's true. The Ascension. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
But so I think um, it's a rare opportunity to be like watching someone direct um, basically for that whole season. I was there most of the time. Um, And also Payman had been like hanging out as well. And we'd known each other because of all of the Adam film stuff. And I think we both had that experience of like watching you be like, hey, we need to fix this. And then like people doing it. <laughs> right? And we were like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Peter just said he like wanted to change something and then six dudes did it. Uh, I, I did have a very outsized amount of responsibility and, and power on that show that I did not appreciate at the time until oh, I did more television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So talk about that, actually. Well, because you were, you were the king of the kingdom in a lot of ways, right? Well, I just, there was a lot of trust. It was a matter of trust. I, uh, you know, demonstrated having good taste and good instincts. And so generally speaking, if I spoke up, it was because I really had a thought and Sometimes it made it better and sometimes it didn't, sure. and that's the process. But uh, Keegan and Jordan were very inclusive, very trusting. Jay and Ian were very inclusive, very trusting. Um, and so I just, yeah, I, I I was involved in every aspect of that show. Sure. And then on set, um, yeah, I just, uh, they started treating me like, a, a, you know, another writer EP who was right. on set pitching ideas and suggestions and stuff. And um it was just super fun. We just, I liken it to, um, they were the two best jazz musicians in the world. And occasionally I got to like, like play the drums sure. for a, for a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was very, it was, yeah, it was a really fun experience. And then going to do particularly other episodic where you're sort of the asshole of the week. And depending on the show, they may not give a shit what you think or sure. what you want, and you're there as a blocking, you know, consultant. Yeah, sure. or, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, I tried to avoid those experiences, but I, at the same time, it was definitely hard for me to realize, like, oh, if I don't like something, I can't make them change it, <laughs> <Sure. Yeah. laughs> which yeah. was like, uh, yeah, I really took that for granted. And um, not only that, but like you're doing the same style over and over again. Yeah. Like literally with Key and Peele, it would be the first half of the day you do one crazy stylized sketch. And then the second half of the day would be something utterly different. Yeah. We did two sketches a day every day. We moved. We were on location every day. Um and yeah, it was it was in a lot of ways a filmmaking boot camp because it yeah. I we it was grueling, but we also got to do everything. My my first AD would always joke like, "You're gonna have the best reel coming out of this show because it'll look like you've done everything, yeah. and all you've done is this show." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's what I'm going for." The same so. two actors in every scene. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious. It might be hard to answer this simply, but like, what did you learn about? getting comedy to work on that show? Like, what were some of the lessons? So much. I mean, I think the biggest, like, headline lesson was just the meritocracy of of laughter. Like, Mm -hmm. you can argue with something, but if it makes people laugh, it's funny. And that was the rule on our show. If it made us laugh, it won. It was truly a meritocracy of comedy. And And I don't know if you realize this, but in blocking rehearsals, the crew would laugh. Yeah. And that, that's pretty rare. Oh, know? yeah. And yeah. Keegan and Jordan would, and especially Keegan, <laughs> would feed off of that, mm-hmm, you know. Sure. Um, but it was very instinctual, but at the same time, all of the little rules, you know, it's great to have a tag for a scene. 
it's they, those guys taught me more about comedic improv than anybody, uh, any class I'm sure I could have ever taken just because they always did it from a place of truth to those characters, whichever characters they were playing. Mm -hmm. So it just, it was a, it, it was an incredibly valuable comedy experience that I find myself drawing on without even realizing mm -hmm. it now. Like you can just tell now when you're hearing something out loud or seeing it performed, like, oh, we need to punch that up. It's a little soft there. It's a little weak here. This is where it's really shining. A little bit more back and forth would be good. He's too low status. You know, all of those little like, oh, we can just juice it mm -hmm. a little bit and tweak it. And then at the same time, the the power and importance of showing stuff to an audience, getting an honest audience feedback who are not invested in it because you get you fall in love with something and you protect it and then you watch it and it just dies in an audience. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that cool shot <laughs> isn't doing a whole lot right. that I was trying to protect. So a lot of really valuable lessons came out of that show. Well, what? how did you deal with... Sorry, Matt, no. that I'm talking on our podcast. Um, <laughs> how did you, uh, like, balance the genre stuff, like a horror film or an action film with a comedy? Mm -hmm. Like, how did those things not fight against each other? They did constantly. <laughs> and I will say, too, the genius of Keegan and Jordan, uh, I was always on the more genre, more style, more, you know, mm -hmm. more drama side of the equation and um jay and ian were usually on the extreme other side of like who cares as long as it's funny like get to the joke and keegan and jordan really straddled those two instincts and in different ways like i think keegan probably lended leaned a little bit more towards the if it's funny that's all that matters and jordan was a little bit more like no but it's cool to be the show that like mm -hmm. can spend a minute just being dramatic and cool and then it's funny um, so there was always a give and a take, but I think my instincts about that got better and better as the show went on. Like I got less precious at the beginning. I was so like, well, this is how they would do it in the action movie. So we have to do that. And it was like, no, you don't. People get it. You show them like 12 seconds of that and they're like, yeah, I get it. I know where I am. Um, and so I'm less precious about that stuff now, but it still taught me the value of caring about that, especially with comedy, which mm -hmm. I mean more often than not, people don't care about that stuff. So right. it's nice when you, they do. And do you find now kind of in your current career, right, because you did the, well, help me out, J-C-V-J. J. There we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and also this new show that that's just coming out, the... Whiskey Cavalier. Whiskey Cavalier, um, which are both kind of like stylized action comedies, right? Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. um, I ha you have to assume that like you your your reel from Key and Peel basically is what helped you kind of transition into stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's varies job to job. Yeah. I will say Key and Peel is the one thing that no matter who I'm meeting with, they usually they they not usually they know what it is, and they usually have like a fond mm -hmm. emotional connection with that. Like whether they've seen one sketch online that their sure. son-in-law sent them right. or. Um, they loved the show and watched it religiously. So that definitely helps open doors. But um, I've always been interested in moving more into dramatic storytelling or, you know, stuff that isn't just comedy. And so for me, uh, the more comfortable I get in that world, the more I just find myself leaning into that and, mm -hmm. and moving in that direction. And it's also just what what seems like it'll be challenging. I'm always yeah. drawn to that. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like the three of us all kind of like came up in the internet, right? Yeah. And so 
you kind of need to do comedy. That's kind of the only choice. It's not like there were that that you could be like directing plays and then pop from that or something. I suppose you could, but like that wasn't the path right then. It yeah. was the obvious choice was like, I love comedy and I also love drama, but funnier die just started. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, especially in like that viral video world, you either have like a real thing, right? right. A moving story, a funny baby, a dog farting, whatever, or <laughs> you have something that's a amazing parody or just super funny. Right, right. right. Yeah. I think the benefit of when I got started and when a lot of, of people I know got started was it was early enough that you could still get noticed mm-hmm. with style. I think that's less and less now just because so many people are so good at that now sure. that it's really hard to stand out. Like yeah. I can't imagine. Take a look at a Vimeo staff pick. Man, right? just like, going into yeah. YouTube comedy nowadays, I mean, there are people who make millions of dollars off YouTube alone and put tons of money into production resources, and it's just a different. Yeah, it's a yeah. my guilty now. pleasure is like when I see an article that's like, Mike J, YouTuber with 10 million subscribers, has said officially said he's burnt out and taking a break from YouTube. I'm like, see. It's like freaking hard oh, yeah. to just be making amazing yeah. YouTube it's a videos. Grind. All the time. Yeah. It's He's a still grind. streaming on Twitch though. Um, <laughs> Good for uh, Mike. His, his, <laughs> his Overwatch videos are showed up though. Um, but but to finish my point, I wonder if now we're gonna see people who had that early start in comedy diverging and going into like now that they've got like feature careers and like definitely that's already. Know, I mean, Jordan yeah. Voigt Roberts. You know, oh, interesting. Like, Good point. I, yeah. Absolutely started in internet comedy. Um, Jordan Jordan Peele. I mean, sure. you know, um, so a small success story. Yeah. Um, I think I think he's going to be okay. I, yeah. I worry about him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's happening uh, more and more. I know there are other good examples that I'm not thinking of, but it, it's interesting. It was definitely the world I came up in and my path. But also, as I get to know more filmmakers, I see how many different paths there are, and mm-hmm. there's really no right way of doing anything. I feel like. There's hope for our listeners yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's just just do what excites you and what interests you and don't be afraid to fail over and over again. Killer. Because you bounce back and forth a little bit between commercials as well, which I think is on the bit. like unique side, right? Like you, we were talking about the that Pepsi like prank video from years <laughs> ago now. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Jobs like that are why I still do commercials. Sure. Like every once in a while you get to do something that is totally weird or bizarre or insane and you get paid really well for it. So Mm -hmm. that's like the perfect harmony of... (laughs) (laughs) But then that's offset by like more often, nine times out of ten, it's like pretty mind-numbing and and you kind of hate every moment of it. So sure. I will say it's a balance. from my experience in the commercial world, I'd say like 80% of my jobs I've been on, the agency has referred to Key and Peele's sketch. Oh, like, really? Yeah. There are, <laughs> yeah people I are always that. saying, yeah, you know, that. the one where they're like saying the football names or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we want it to be just like that. I'm like, okay, well, they, yeah, you should, you know, why are we using non-union actors for starters? <laughs> yeah. They're not uh, going to be as funny. Me, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it can be very soul crushing. You know, like when you're having, when you're like 20 emails deep in a thread about people arguing about what the curtains in the background should be, <laughs> and you're like, uh, guys, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I know you're like paying me to pretend to care, but it, I can't anymore. I can't pretend.
have you ever had people tell you like, like, you know, here's the concept, but we just, you know, we want you to plus it, like give us something, oh, like get, throw us some every ideas time, every it. time, which like, okay, pay me as a writer in addition sure. to directing, like, you know, and yeah, it's the comedy commercials is, uh, a very distinct and unique and kind of special hellhole these days because everyone <laughs> wants it like to be shareable and viral sure. and we want to shoot some like bonus content to share on social and it's like and make just, sure it works vertical oh also. yeah it's just it's it's a grim and the but meanwhile the budgets are going down and down and mm-hmm. down so it's just kind of a strange time in commercials right now I feel especially bad for actors who are expected to improvise and make bad oh, yeah. copy better. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, especially crappy. Yeah. And um, then you never have time to improvise either. No, right? it, it's it's such a, yeah, all of the things, uh, we have a, they send you like two days before the shoot, uh, just a crazy list of alts. They're like, here's the alts we'd love to get. I'm like, guys, you see the shot list, you see how many hours we have, you wouldn't pay for a second day. I mean, uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, what I have found and what I have gotten more comfortable with is I feel like in the ad world, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the more of a dick you are, the more they respect you and yeah, let they you do like your it thing. a little bit. <laughs> they yeah. love it. They're like, yeah, be mean to us. I'm like, no, I'm not yeah, that's yeah, good. He's a real Don Draper type. They're just like, wow, okay. If you just tell them no, they're just, they're so not used to hearing that that they're kind of like, oh. Okay, yeah. How wow. do you deal with that? I mean, I'm curious from both of you guys, when people are telling you to shoot way more than you have time to shoot, like what do yeah. you do? Yeah. My favorite phrase is uh, that I picked up from a producer, I worked with a producer on Jean-Claude Van Johnson, was there is a physics to filmmaking. And like anytime people's requests get outlandish, you just go, guys, there is a physics to this. I am telling you what we have time for. This is what we can do. If we have extra time, we can do this, but there's no way we're going to get to what you're asking for. And generally, as soon as you make it like math is Mm -hmm. saying they can't have it, they're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, well, then we'll have to figure it out. I mean, sometimes they don't. I've been on jobs. I did a campaign for a social media (laughs) network uh, last year, and the head creative was, um, you know, a very nice guy, but also very in love with his own creativity and his own ideas and wasn't willing to accept reality. And so I was like, I can get that for you, but it's going to compromise this. Yeah. No, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. And then we'll go over. We didn't get that shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but sometimes like there's a physics and the sun is going down. And if you want me to get this guys, we're not going to get the last shot. Sometimes I do this thing and I don't think it works, but I'll be like, how many minutes do you think it's going to take us to get this? (laughs) Do you think we could shoot that in three minutes? Do you think we can like roll the cameras, make yeah. sure sound's rolling and do all that in three minutes? <laughs> if you do, we'll try it. I'll yeah. give you three minutes, but it's really going to take 30 minutes. Yeah. I, the problem for me too, and this is part of what I've had to learn to deal with. I'm eternally an optimist when it comes to that. So mm-hmm. I'm always like, yeah, you know what? Let's try to get it. Let's, let's like, let, we can do that. We And then you like, as you're spending your, you know, 10 minutes blocking the background to just walk forward on <laughs> cue, you're like... Oh, right. Everything takes sure. a really long time in this yeah. job. And yeah, we're not yeah, yeah. And you're sure. ready. And then your lead actor needs Ugh. to go to the restroom. And you're like, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? I had an AD once tell me that it just takes five minutes to put your pants on. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it, it does. It's just like you got to go to your, you, you know, you go to your trailer, you change out, you know, blah, 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 blah. You walk back and it's like, oh, yeah, it's five minutes. So like no matter what. Oh, yeah. 
Like that's the smallest amount of time that anything takes yeah. basically. Yeah. And then there's the actors who just have no concept of time and putting on their pants takes them an hour. Sure. <laughs> or they decide yeah. to take or a shower. Yeah. That's why Actually, I do yeah. no pants on all of my sets. No pants. That's good. The two best people to talk shit with on a set are always the costumer <laughs> and the hair and makeup people. And the costumer will always tell you who didn't wear underwear to set. <laughs> There's always I've one. Never, <laughs> yeah. I've never had that There's always one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk to Bramley about it. I will. Yeah. Um, so you did a movie, right? Well, so is, is JCVJ a movie? No, kind of. <laughs> sort of. It feels like uh, it. It's a movie kind of backdoored like a three-hour movie into Amazon. It's a series. It's a... Uh, six half-hour episodes that tell a complete story. Weird. So. Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's a story of self-reflection uh, and self-discovery in the mind of Jean-Claude Van Damme, um, but in the form of a show set in a world where the world's biggest movie stars are also undercover black ops agents. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays himself as a washed-up former martial arts action hero who comes out of retirement um, who's, you know, he's secretly an undercover secret agent and he comes out of retirement both as an actor and as a, you know, operative in the field in order to win back his former hairstylist who he thinks he's still in love with. Uh, And insanity ensues from there. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever worked on and I love it like a child. That sounds awesome. Did you find out if that Volkswagen spot he did was real? Which the Volvo he, one? The or Volvo, splits? yeah, where he does the splits on the uh, trucks. He, there, well, I mean, it's real in that he really did the splits. There was a safety harness that they painted out. Oh, okay. But he is doing the splits over two trucks that were that are moving robotically controlled on a yeah that were oh moving. they're robotically yeah. controlled. so I mean it's still impressive. It's, it's just they very didn't real. allow for the, the possibility risk. that he would fall in between and die. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's so, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. frankly that's more real than I was anticipating. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been fine. It's almost Tom Cruise real. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean there's, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise is still, real is more real than real. I feel like yeah, yeah. he's operating as like a Thetan superhero. <laughs> but he's still like tied into something. They're still painting stuff out. Tom Cruise? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. I feel like Tom Cruise, I did talk to an AD. We, we shot part of Whiskey Cavalier in Paris, and the first AD I had was the first AD on Mission Impossible, and he, on the new one, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. The one he got super hurt Rogue on, right? Alpha. Yeah. yeah. And he said that like the risks that Tom Cruise takes sometimes cross into like stupid and dangerous and unsafe. And he left that show because oh, he wow. was not. Right, because the A D is Yeah, that's yeah, a safety their responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, good for him that he's doing amazing stuff, but there are people whose like livelihoods depend on you not getting hurt. So sure. Yeah. Don't get hurt. Do it safe. Right. Well, so where I was going with the feature thing, so you did that movie Keanu, right? Mm -hmm. And you have obviously some of like the world's best improvisers in that movie. How much of a movie like that is improvised? Uh, Not a lot. Um, The biggest issue on that movie was time. We did not have enough time. And uh, we didn't, we, we had the same, roughly the same kind of time we would have had to make our show, but we had it. We were doing it in New Orleans with the New Orleans crew, which I didn't know moves at about 50% of the speed mm-hmm. of an L.A. crew. Right. So we were just 50%. always, I mean, it was crazy. I was, uh, that was a very difficult experience for me. Uh, 
it taught me a lot of great lessons. Uh, that is a movie I cannot watch. I have not watched it since it Are came you serious? out. Cannot watch it. Um, too painful. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that movie, it was a brutal experience. So I would have probably liked to have done a little bit of more improv. And we would, I would let the guys improv, um, but in very targeted, mm -hmm. we called it targeted improv. So it was, we have a, a saying, um, this takes a 5K, this, that's, it's a fun run. Sure. So yeah. when you do a 5K, it's like, just let it roll, let's see where it goes. And they would always keep it within the scene. So they were never just like fully discovering a scene. Like sometimes on Key and Peele, we'd come on and do a sketch and it was like, not working, let's redo it. And it would just completely change and we would improv the whole thing. That didn't happen on Keanu, but in scenes where it's the two of them and they're mm -hmm. in a situation that allows for it, yeah, there's some improv in there, but not not as much as you might think. Yeah. What are some of the takeaways that you walked away with off of Keanu besides like uh, the, the pain and heartache? <laughs> <laughs> prep. Mm -hmm. You cannot prep enough. I've never... I've never, ever felt prepped enough, but that was a movie where I really got my ass handed to me because I didn't prep as much as I should have. Mm -hmm. um, How many a lot weeks of ways. do you get to prep? Because that's a studio film, right? It is. It was, uh, yeah. It like was, I remember it was, seeing billboards. It was a studio film that was run like an indie movie and then marketed like a studio film. So it's like the worst of possible combinations. <laughs> um, but it, uh, we had, I had five weeks of prep in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, and it was coming at a time that we were overlapping it with the last season of the show. So I was doing double duty with finishing the season five uh, sketches right. and then right. also trying to prep. And then I went down to New Orleans and it was a crew I had never worked with before. Um, and then I just didn't prep hard enough. I mean, I really got my ass handed to me because I learned the value of planning for the best, but preparing the worst. And I just planned for like what I thought I was going to get in terms of number of setups per day and what I thought we'd be able to do. And the reality every day just kicked my ass. I, there wasn't a day on that movie where I didn't walk away going like, fuck, I don't, I don't know if I got that, what out of that scene, what I needed to get out of that scene. And, uh, so it, that experience coupled with the studio post experience mm -hmm. was pretty brutal. Um, and you know, post is always you just being confronted with your own failures and shortcomings and trying to make the best of it. Uh, on that movie, it was an even more brutal process just because I didn't know that on studio movies, they don't really care about the script because in their mind, anything can happen in post. Post is just an infinite world of possibilities. You can change anything. Everything can be fixed with ADR, um, with, with new dialogue right. off camera, which I hate. So like you're on someone's back and they're saying something they're clearly sure. not saying. So it, it was just, uh, you know a lot of notes that you get in post on that process where it's like, oh, guys, if you had said that during the script phase, we wouldn't have this issue. Why are you giving that note now? That's not an editorial note. That's a script note. Right. Um, and then that coupled with uh, make sure that the movie you're making is, um, that you think you're making is the movie that they're expecting you to make. Mm -hmm. um, there was a big disparity in that on that movie. We've, we were making sort of this... Uh, musing on action comedy and, and sort of a, a genre undermining of action comedy coupled with like exploring masculine identity. And we wanted to make that a deeper, darker movie. The pitch was always like, what if Michael Mann made a movie about guys pretending to be gangsters in LA? And the studio wanted a broad comedy that they could market to black people. Mm -hmm. And so 
that was not what the first sure. cut was. Yeah. So yeah. there was a lot of back and forth and testing, and it was always very harmonious. Um, it didn't ever get ugly with them, but it was still a very difficult process. Right. For well, sure. so on a studio film, when you're on set, do they are they like watching the dailies every day and like no. making sure you That's, get the number of setups you said you're going to get? No, what they do watch is they watch how many hours you're shooting. I'm a big I shoot a lot. Mm-hmm. I always have. I like to shoot a lot. You mean and like you keep the camera rolling or you have a lot of cameras? Both keeping it rolling. I like shooting two cameras. Um, I like getting a fair number of setups. Um, and on a movie like that too, like there's enough improvising. And, you know, our style was to just kind of like keep it rolling. It's digital. Who cares? Like reset. Right. Let's go yeah. again. Go to Best Buy and buy another hard drive. they guys. would literally, I got a talking to from the head of post after day one of like, you shot five hours yesterday. Nobody shoots five hours. Like, you're crazy. You have to keep it to three and a half hours. And I was like, it's digital. Who cares? And they're like, no, 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 no. So I got that talking to, which made me think, oh, they're watching every dailies like a hawk. And no. All they cared about was, is it bright enough? The only note we ever got was, that looks a little dark yesterday. We were in New Orleans, so there was no executives there. So we were very left alone to our own devices. So there's kind of this illusion of like, oh, they're letting us make the movie that we want to make. And then in post, they're like, oh, that's the movie made? (laughs) Cute. Uh, Here's what marketing has notes on. Marketing thinks this needs to be shorter. And I'm like, marketing's giving notes? It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we have to sell this movie. We're going to put like $30 million (laughs) into the marketing. So it's like, oh, Right. Yeah, that that's sure. that's that it's makes sense. It's weird that marketing cares about the length of the movie because their job is done by the time you're seeing the movie. That's right? believe me, I said that in a lot of meetings <laughs> and got death stares. It's like <laughs> it's a movie, they're not gonna flip the channel and they're just like that's not what we're talking about at all, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> And like the opening is slow. I'm like, yeah, what you said. If they're there, they're gonna watch the opening and they're gonna yeah. enjoy, you know. But um, but no, that is not the case at all. Especially with comedy. I think with comedy, there's less of a, well, the director really cares about this. It's like mm, it didn't get a laugh for sure. three minutes. What is happening? It's like, oh, they're not supposed to laugh here. They're supposed to be scared. And it's right. Like, right, right, right. You're making a comedy. What are you doing? So there was a lot of, I mean, everything. Music wasn't ever funny enough. Um, <laughs> Ugh. Everything. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. And I'm sure you've gotten this question a zillion times, so I apologize. But like, does, is Keanu Reeves in on the name of the movie? He's in the movie. He's the voice, He's the of, voice Keanu. of Keanu. Yeah, He's yeah. the voice of the cat. Just for like a little. Oh, for I a dream movie? sequence. I saw um, the movie. It doesn't, I I... believe me, you're not the only one who didn't realize. Um, it turns out when Keanu Reeves isn't being um, his Bill and Ted character, you don't know that it's Keanu Reeves. He does not have a distinctive way of speaking unless he's acting like he's stoned. So we put him, that was a in post. Warner Brothers said we want, or New Line said, we want um, the dream sequence to be bigger and funnier and have more. Oh. So we shot the George Michael video uh, it, as pickups after we were back in LA and we added the dream sequence with the cat. And then the head of the studio was like, hey, we should get Keanu Reeves to be the cat. And we hated that idea. And then <laughs> he's the voice of the cat. And they called in a favor. And God only knows what they probably paid him. He was very nice. But yeah, nobody knows that it's Keanu Reeves. Like, it's not. It could have been a, a guy. Sound like, yeah, sound oh, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, he doesn't Which even. Which maybe I, would be illegal, I wonder. I, it was a gray area. Yeah. I mean, we had a Benedict Cumberbatch joke in there at one point, And they had to get permission from him. So mm-hmm. I, they're very protective mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Of famous people. And he, I mean, he's clearly named after Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there was, 
he didn't know about the movie until actually at that point the trailer had already come out. Oh, so really? He learned about it. His sister sent. Actually, yeah, I screwed up that story. His sister sent him the trailer and said, "I think you would dig this," and he loved the trailer. And he reached out and said, "If there's anything I can do, let me know." Oh, that's oh, cool. And then awesome. Toby Emmerich was like, "Yeah, we want you to be in this movie." And then they wanted him to do the Bill and Ted voice, and he and I talked about it, and he was like, "I do not want to do that." I was yeah, like, yeah. Don't do it. It's fine. And then he probably should have done it. So. <laughs> that reminds me, uh, the. Uh, these three groundlings, they did this David, these David Blaine videos that went kind of viral. Sure, Mike, amazing Mike Day, videos, yeah. Mitch Silpa and one other one that I forget, but mm. they were so good. Yeah, right. And yeah. Mitch Silpa played David Blaine and he was just making, they were just making fun of David Blaine. And David Blaine loved the videos so much. <laughs> he like reached out to them and was like, hey, you guys want me to do the next one? And they're like, oh, that's so awesome. Let's, we'll figure it out. We'll get back to you. And Mitch was like, we just thought about it forever and we just couldn't figure out a way where it's, it's not funny, funny with yeah. the real David Blaine. So they're like, thanks, really but no thanks. Oh, man. <laughs> you could play him I in front of my show. I kind of wish that had happened. That would have been, but they're probably right. That probably, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, that. It's just, thing. yeah. So what's your deal now? I mean, I, I see your name <laughs> everywhere. Like I you know do? your work. I, well, uh, I've watched a lot of Last Man. I watched the whole, all of Last Man on Earth. Oh, nice, nice. I saw Rest your name there a lot. Pour a little out. Um, and is yeah, that, that was a, did you do Brooklyn Nine-Nine also? I did not. I did not. Uh, I met on that show. I love the people who work on that show. That show was not a good fit for me as a director. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was. I met on a lot of shows where I called my agent afterward and I was like, I don't want to do it. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, why? What are you? <laughs> I got you that meeting so you could do an episode. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. But that's a show where... Um, they cross shoot everything. It's all handheld. They, they, their DP calls it the bim, bam, boom is how he does every yeah. scene is three setups and, uh, you knock it out and everyone's home by four or five. And I shadowed on that show. Most scenes are one setup. Yeah. 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 So it was just yeah. not, not for me. Um, it, it's a cool way to make a show just to clarify, totally. but, but yeah, it's a different I would love to, if I was working on a show like that and I got to see my kid every night, yeah, I would sure. be super grateful. And yeah. that's, you know. I, I, there's definitely a place for that. It just, it was not a place where I would thrive. Yeah. So do you have like a philosophy on like how you choose your jobs, especially when it's like more of a director for hire type of thing? Uh, nowadays it's to say no, <laughs> it's to say no, no, that's not true. Uh, yeah, it just, I, I go in and meet with the producers and it's really just a vibe and it's kind of, I like to ask like what the expectations are. Can I, you know, especially with episodic directing, there's just a system in place and everyone's kind of expected like this is the system and you either mm -hmm. like that and are fine with it or you don't and it's fine. It's not for you. I've more often than not, again, especially with comedy found it's just not really for me. Um, I like to know, am I going to be able to come in and be creative and have a shot list and do my shots and you know, talk to the DP and call lenses and, mm -hmm. you know, ask for certain things with the lighting. And Wait, are you saying you wouldn't be able to call lenses on an episodic show? A lot of shows, no. A lot mm. of shows, the DPs are very protective of that and they're just, they look at you like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's not your job, you know? I mean, more often than not, I think they're appreciative if you come in prepared and you have a shot list, but generally speaking, they're like, this is the lens we yeah, yeah. shoot this this on. Uh, and, th and they're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, they I, know. Respecting yeah, the look of a show is part yeah, of your yeah. job as an episodic director. Um, and I tried to do that on jobs. It just, there's still like a level of like, yeah. am I going to be able to direct or mm -hmm. am I here to fill a union mandated position while the showrunner talks to the actors and right. the actors are like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Thanks. Like, don't talk yeah, to yeah. me. 
you know, and I did a couple where I had not great experiences and I was like, okay, I'm going to say no to most of this stuff. So, yeah. and then, so I don't know if this is too personal, but you feel like you can say no to a bunch of shows and still just get a steady stream of income and stuff like how no not always <laughs> yeah no I mean definitely that's one of those things with having a kid made me go like oh I need to say yes to more mm -hmm. now but I still try to look for stuff where I feel like I'm gonna be that's why I like doing pilots is because mm -hmm. I like to be involved in shaping the look of a show and so for me I would rather you know play the long game and you know I'll go out for a lot of stuff and not get it. And it's, you know, putting together a presentation, doing a director's treatment book, all the things that nobody tells you when you're becoming a director, like, Hey, you're gonna have to like put your own money and time and a lot of the time not get paid for it in any fashion. Um, so for me, it's, I just, I have sort of, a. I have kind of a list of the things I'd like to do and the list of the type of projects I'm drawn to and the things I'd like to be doing that mm -hmm. I'm not getting offered and I go from there. And yeah. then And so for when you're trying to get a pilot job, you do you write it's like a commercial job, but more so, like you write a yes. giant treatment and visuals and Totally. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the job. Um Every once in a while, there's one where I feel like I'm auditioning them more than they're auditioning me. <laughs> so I'm a little bit less like, yeah, I'm going to come in and blow you away. But generally speaking, for a pilot, a movie, um, I'm going in with a printed book. I pay a lot of money to get a really nice book printed. I design it myself in Photoshop. I'm pulling visual references. I'm, you know, and I find that the more I can kind of overwhelm a producer mm -hmm. with like, here's the script I read. Here are my notes on the script. Here's what I would change. Here's my vision for the show. If you're interested, awesome, great. I'm the guy. If it's not for you, then like, good luck with the show and, you know, mm -hmm. be well. And uh, more often than not, just doing that, they tend to go like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and I also really like being involved in development. Like if I can meet on a script before it's taken out to a studio or to a network, even better, because then I can be involved with the pitching process. And, you know, I, I do find that the more you can help dictate that stuff and the less surprises there are for people, the more you can kind of do what you set out to do. Yeah. I think it's, um, and I'm just not drawn to stuff where, there's not a real opportunity to, to do that because I just love that process. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me because I feel like you recently as our peers are kind of like leveling up and like are, are getting to the point where like they can maybe turn things down a little bit more. Like the ones that have the most distinctive visual style and like who, yeah, basically create calling cards for themselves and are notable in a specific way are the ones who are saying no more and more, you know? Whereas, like, I feel like I have, like, the the tendency to just be like, uh, it's a job, I'll take it. Yeah. You know what and, I mean? Which I... And you can't stand out doing that. Well, know? and it's a hard... I mean, as a person, we're all freelancers at heart. We're all like, when's the next job? And you feel that stress and that pressure. And so it is the hardest thing in the world to have a job offer and say, no, I don't think I'm going to do it. Um, and it took me a long time to get to a place where I felt comfortable doing that. I mean, I, one, hate disappointing people. And two, I, I hate rejection, mm -hmm, you know? So, sure. like, I hate rejecting other people. So for me, it was... Very hard to do that, but I also just got to a place where I knew what would excite me creatively, and 
it's painful enough for me to be in a, situations where I'm not being fulfilled in that way that I just know like whatever joy I get from having a job and having income is going to be offset by how miserable I am actually doing the job and I just I don't do it. Well, let me ask, what does your life look like when, like now, when you're not specifically on a job for hire? How do you develop, what are the things that you're doing to, to rustle up that next project? Uh, uh, avoiding depression is a sure. big part of the process. Let me recommend a podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Staying busy with just little, like, um, yeah. Uh, it's hard. I mean, I, I don't like downtime. Um. I have avoided it as much as possible. For me, periods like this, I do know what my next job is now. Um, but at the same time, I really want to get to a place where I never have real downtime. I always want to be planting seeds. So for me, it's reading scripts that come in, whether it's official submissions or just I'll ask my agents, like, what's out there? What's being made right now? Or what are you know, open assignments where it didn't come to me, but I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe I could go in and meet on it and something that's not in my wheelhouse, but I, you know, take a swing. Um, I've gone out for a couple movies recently where I really had no business being in the room, but I wanted to take the swing. And then they're like, politely like, yeah, thanks. Bye. <laughs> you did Keanu? Oh, nice. Okay. Goodbye. Um, but at the same time, um, I always try to learn something from those experiences. So just, just, uh, Reading as much as I can, and then I am at the place now where I do want to be actively developing mm-hmm. stuff from the ground up more. Right. right. So that's what I'd like, like TV to be and doing. film? Yeah, both. Yeah. I mean, for selling stuff, for taking something out and selling it, it's really more TV because I've already done that in TV. In movies, the film industry is at a really weird place, and... Uh, There's some of that that happens, but also the projects that I'm sent because of my resume, generally speaking, I'm just not interested. I get every action comedy that either never gets made or I just, I see and I'm like, well, dodge the bullet there. Um, So I just, they're just not for me. But um, I mean, obviously, so with Get Out coming out last year, like I, I feel like that is one of those movies and even like A Quiet Place. And there's a few other movies where like, a filmmaker, especially like kind of newer filmmakers, they go, they see that movie and they're like, damn, I need to make my get out. I need to make my <laughs> quiet place, right? But you are like so close to that. Like I imagine at least in your life in my brain, it's like you guys made Keanu and Jordan learned a ton of stuff on that movie. Totally, right? yeah. That he probably used in Get Out. Like what about, like it seems like you're primed for like that movie, right? Peter, what's your get out? I don't know that I have a get out in me, but uh, Jordan absolutely learned a lot, um, both from Key and Peele and Keanu, and also the process of making Get Out. I mean, I watched the first cut of that that I watched, it was a very different movie. And so the process of making that, you know, I know he changed a lot and learned a lot, and it very organically became the movie that you see now. But I think that's the process on anything. It definitely, that and having, you know, knowing people who are doing interesting stuff and meeting filmmakers that you respect and, and you know, it, it, it does always kind of give you fuel for like, okay, step up. What's next? What are you going to yeah, do? a little like, creative you know, competition. Yeah, it's healthy. And so um, that's, I just like doing things that are different experiences or challenging in some way. I'm about to move to Prague for 
seven months to do a show that seven I, months. Yeah. Are you I'm, taking your family? I'm taking my family. We're moving to Prague for a little Holy while. Cow. Um, and it's going to be an adventure and it could be, it could be terrible, <laughs> but it could be really fun and, and rewarding. So you got to try the Pilsner or Kell. I did try. I was there. We shot the pilot in Prague. I lived there for two oh, months earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. This is Whiskey Cavalier. This is this ABC show that I'm doing. And, oh, uh, ABC Network? Sorry. Wait. Yeah. How many episodes are you doing? Uh, we're doing a half season or so. We're doing 12 additional episodes to the pilot that we already did. And so. you're doing all of them? I'm the not f- directing all of them. No, okay. I'm going to be like- I'm gonna be EPing and I'll probably direct three of them, mm-hmm. but I'll be running the show in Prague. So there'll be a writer's room Got it. with the creator showrunner in LA focusing on the writing side. And then uh, Bill Lawrence and I will be in Prague working on the, the, gotcha. the Prague of the it Prague, all. The Prague and of it. Yeah. Are you, why is it shooting in Prague? Uh, well, it was, so it's a, it's a show that was, the script was set in Europe for the pilot. And originally when I got the job in January, uh, or early February, they said, okay, we're going to shoot it in LA and then we'll do like four or five days in Europe for exteriors and pickups. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Good plan. And then, uh, Warner brothers had a show push in Prague, um, and they had a crew kind of ready and waiting and they were like, Hey, the show pushed, we're going to send you guys to Prague. We'll just do it all in Prague. And I was like, oh, what? (laughs) Okay. I literally four days after I got the job, I was on a plane to go to Prague and, um, I worked with a whole new crew I'd never met before and a new DP I'd never worked with before. And, uh, well, wait, a, like you didn't get, you didn't get to pick the DP no. either. It's like uh, 100%. Well, the DP the, was, Amer- but for Warner brothers, because it was a network show, it was a pilot. They have a very powerful showrunner EP in, uh, Bill Lawrence. Um, I very much walked into kind of a turnkey operation. Mm, they see. already had a DP yeah. that they wanted. I got to like interview him as like a cursory, sure, like, like make sure meet yeah, your yeah. DP and yeah, make yeah. sure. So there was a and few he people was like that. Yeah. He was actually coming off of lethal weapon. Oh, like, cool. Like, Warner brothers is very good about like, Hey, you've worked on this show for us. We're going to put you on this pilot or this show. Sure, and sure. They like their people. And so, um, yeah, I kind of walked into a situation that, Again, could have gone really poorly, could have been bad, but it ended up being a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed shooting in Prague. It was a really fun experience. Wait, but just from like a life point of view, how do you like just tell your wife, like, hey, we just had a kid, I'm going to go to Prague for two months, like tomorrow? It was a very (laughs) difficult conversation. Uh, I have the benefit of an extremely understanding partner who also worked in this industry. We met uh, working on a show together, actually on KMPL. She was our location manager. um, And she understands the nature of the job. And uh, it was tough. It was really hard for both of us. It was hard for my son. It was hard on me. It was tough. But also, it's the job. And sometimes it happens. And uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, communication is (laughs) your friend, but it's not easy. (laughs) Yeah, I had this thing. I was going to go to Toronto for the show, which I'm not doing anymore, but I spent like months freaking out about my dogs and my kids and my my wife. How long will she come? And she has her own job, you know, like anyway. Yeah, we're in that mode right now about Prague, trying to figure out animals. Yeah, I mean, we we have a house here. It's like, what do we, we, do we move out of the house? Like, what do we do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, all questions I'm dealing with now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had Maggie Kylie on the show just the other day, and she's been globetrotting and has kids and like she has two kids. Yeah, yeah, husband. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm lucky that my son is 18 months and he's, uh, you know, at that age where we can just throw him on a right. plane and go and it's not life altering for him. It's not but like school or anything like that. Yeah, 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 but we're looking at preschools there. I mean, it's a, it's a lot. So um, the opportunity was just such that um, I've, I've wanted to work in Europe for a long time. I really like Europe. Um, I didn't go there until last year was my first time ever going to Europe in my life and I fell in love with it and I came back. Um, we did the Jean-Claude Van Johnson premiere. I did a commercial there in the summer, which was terrible in Budapest, terrible experience. And then we did the premiere of the show in Paris and went all over Europe. And I came back saying, I really want to get a job in Europe. And I went out for a movie that was going to shoot in Europe, didn't get it, um, and then got this pilot. And it didn't even think it was going to shoot in Europe. And then it did. So it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to... Meant to be. Meant to be. So do you have to hire any Czech directors or anything? Is that part of, like, is there an incentive uh, of any sort that you get? I mean, the crew is mostly Czech, yeah. Um, I think, I don't know is the honest answer to that. I think mostly, you know, again, Warner Brothers wants to use people that they know and trust. Mm-hmm. So more than likely they'll be American and UK directors primarily. But, um, yeah, I mean, I have to familiarize myself with the directing pool of talent in yeah. Czech Republic. Republic and in Europe in general. I mean, it's really, there's a lot of great people there. So, but we had a, a really great crew. I really loved shooting in Prague. I feel like we can ask you so much more stuff, but, <laughs> but yeah, but we should probably wrap things up and get into our final segment that we call unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. So I actually got this one from John Petter, the oh, great. D- a DP we know. Uh, I was with him and I got a call, you know, you know, when you get a phone call from a phone number, that's like almost your phone number, yeah, like the neighbor spoof or whatever they call it. And it's always a junk call. And I'm, you know, you're always like, Ugh, these <laughs> idiots keep calling me and I don't know what to do. And he told me if you're on AT&T, which there was a time where every person with an iPhone was on AT&T. It's not true today, but they have an app called call protect. And it's basically exactly like the spam filter on Gmail. You install mm-hmm. it on your phone and if somebody has marked a call as spam, a number, it will, like, it won't vibrate. It'll just show up as like a missed call, and it'll add a message that says probably spam. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So very call, call protect. Yes, I'm Love very it. excited about. It. I've not installed it yet because I'm lazy, but nice. I will do it this week. And if I don't like it, I will unendorse it next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep this posted. But John loves it, so I'm I'm excited yeah, about stopping up. those insane calls. Awesome. Nice. Cool. Peter, you got anything? Uh, sure. Yeah. There is also an app that I love that I use. I've used it for several years now, but I always use it for um, for doing overhead blocking maps for stuff. Shot Designer Pro. Shot Designer Pro. Oh, okay, good. That's so it's like that thing is a lifesaver. I also have a list of features I wish they would implement. So oh. if you work for Shot Designer Pro hit me up so we can make this thing even better. But it's still I bet you great anything product. if you tweeted at them they I, would respond. I, may, to I you. don't know. I never think to do that. I I will say this. I never think that I have a voice. I just <laughs> did a big uh, musical number where I leaned heavily on Shot Designer and endorsed it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And we just tweeted about it and they liked it. So oh. they're paying attention. They're, they're out there. I oh, say really? go for it. I'm yeah. going to tweet them. I'm going to say, guys, let me in you on the do concept it. meeting. I'm curious, what, what would you uh, change about it? Uh, well, f- first and foremost, on the iPad app, 
you gotta let me, there's gotta be better ways to do touch controls and resize things. Mm -hmm. I feel like it could be quicker. Do you ever drop in like uh, an image? Yes, always. Yeah. yeah, I have my production designer give me blueprints there you go. for sets yeah. and yeah. Like overhead? Yeah, yeah, I always have. That's my number one request for art department is give me a blueprint of every location we're going to. Every, I mean, production designers that I work with a lot now know how I like it, but it's always a process of like, please don't label it. Please, you can do some set dressing, but mm -hmm. not stuff that, I, you know, um, but yeah. Do you know how much it costs? I think it's like 20 bucks for yeah. the full license. But you, if you buy it once, you can get it on your laptop, on your iPad, it, it, you get it for everything. Yeah, for me, the, the magic time is like sitting at a desk alone at night and just reading the script. And I, I have a weird system. I should have brought my iPad. But I now I do it all on my iPad. And I go and I take the script, put it into this program called GoodNotes. And I, will, I have a color coding system where I highlight stuff and I write shot ideas. And I, it's very... It looks like a serial killer got, <laughs> went through the script and like made his gripes and stuff. But it's super, you know, this weird system. And then I'll translate that into an overhead and a shot list. And, you know, I'll send it to my editor and be like, here's my notes. Here's, I put a music idea in here or a cut idea, or I feel like this is going to be a match cut or, you know, it's kind of just my way of like, let's all get on the same page. Let's right. all know what we're doing. And so. that other app you said is good notes. Good notes is yeah. a note. And that's an app as another plug. I've gotten Everybody on every show I've worked with using GoodNotes by the end of the show because it's invaluable, especially if you want to be paperless. Like now, I don't want anything ever printed out. Just send me a PDF. You can organize it all in GoodNotes. You can make folders and subfolders and every, you know, shot list, one-liner, overhead, scout notes, you know, I everything I do on an iPad Pro with the Apple Pencil and... In good okay. notes. Huh. Yeah, I'm a crazy person. Exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, if you ever felt like sharing some of those documents with us on things Absolutely. that are already out, it would be really awesome yeah. for More our listeners. More than happy to, yeah. Oh, totally. awesome. That yeah. would be, that, maybe that uh, that big sequence um, from JVCD. Yeah. Or JVCJ. Right? Yeah, I would love to, yeah. That's, that was one of those things where, you know, every once in a while you're shooting something and it's so complicated because that one... Jean-Claude is playing three characters mm -hmm. in the scene. So we had to like shoot out his coverage as oh, boy. Yeah. past him and time cop him yeah. and the weird <laughs> Philippe yeah. character he plays. So like managing that, when you're in the weeds, you're like, I have no idea if this is going to cut together. I think it is because I know I got this shot and I don't even remember why I need that shot, but I got that shot. And when it mostly cuts together, you're like, oh, thank yeah. God I am a crazy person and sure. planned. Thank God for good notes and, sure. and Shot Designer Pro. Awesome, man. Oh, thank <laughs> Long you. Plug, yeah, no, I love it. No, it's good. I love like a plug that's also got a little uh, craft to it. Uh, but mine is real straightforward. You guys know the shoes Allbirds? No. no. I, ACs tend to wear them. They're super comfortable and they're really light. And that's my plug. They're just like. Nice. All like, birds. All birds. Like, look at all of these birds. <laughs> And they come in two types. They come in tree and wool. The wool one is like uh, heavier, basically. It's like a warmer one. But mm -hmm. the tree one are the ones that I have. They're super, super breathable and like literally the most comfy shoes I've ever had. So, oh, and they're for ACs. Yeah. 
Yeah, like multiple ACs I know wore them. So. Do you know about hokas? No. Hokas, similar but worn by stunt people. Mm. And they're these shoes with crazy fat soles. You look like an idiot with these shoes, but they're super comfortable yeah, yeah, yeah. too. I bet they're kind of similar. It's almost like a wedge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Same yeah I would trust a stunt yeah. person's shoe more than an AC who's Both. just sitting they, on a dolly all day. You oh, know? no. Good first AC. They're <laughs> yeah. on their feet all the time. Well, we, second AC, actually. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. True. But if you see like a department and they're all wearing the same thing, they're like, what's the deal? Like yeah. they're, they're hip to something. That's true. I want to know what it is. That's true. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Peter. Um, thank you. If listeners want to find out more about you, keep track of all of your awesome work, where can they find you? Google.com and then you enter Peter Tinsley. No, uh, they can, they, I, I'm occasionally on Twitter, trying to be on Twitter less, uh, at Atencio and occasionally on Instagram. And I do have a habit of violating NDAs by posting projects I'm working on too early on my, yeah, on my yeah. website. Yeah, your, your Instagram is quite good. Well, you, th- thanks. It's super fun. Uh, <laughs> I'm less, I do less of that now. I Fair. got a lot of talkings too. Uh, did you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. man, that's oh, a bummer. I got in trouble constantly, especially on Key and Peele. I got in trouble all the time for stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's a yeah. bummer. Well, oh, it's, it's I'm just an idiot. So, <laughs> you know. I see. Uh, enjoy <sighs> Peter's idiocy and look forward to all of his projects. Yeah, and his website, peterattencio.com, has stuff like yeah. new stuff, Whiskey Cavalier. There is stuff on there. There's oh, Fraggle there's, Rock. There's stills on Wait, there that ABC probably. I'm developing Fraggle Rock. Oh, I'm that's developing a Fraggle Rock movie for Fox. Yeah, uh, man. So hoping that that happens. Knock on wood. Cool. Be fun. Well, thanks so much, Peter. Um, if you want to follow the show or you have questions or thought, or thoughts, we're basically at Just Shoot It Pod on everything. Um, you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlo. And me at Smitey Pileg. And if you have any questions for us, write to us at JustShootItPod at gmail.com. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash JustShootItPod. Leave us a review on iTunes. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. It was produced by Madeline Rosewatt, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.